The nail in the coffin! Joined as always by Travis Healy. Trav, you were all over the place last week. Uh, welcome back to the Buckeye State. How are you? Yeah, thanks, buddy. I was uh, jet setting all over the damn place. I uh, I did it. I managed to avoid uh, I managed to avoid the jet lag in a uh, one of my more impressive performances to date. So I'm actually feeling relatively good for a Tuesday. We are joined today by our old friend Ben Axelrod, sports writer and digital producer from WKYC. What's up, Ben? Hey, not much. How's it going? Good, man. Well, uh, boys, as uh, our friend Craig Lindell would say, we have a lot to unpack tonight. Uh, let's start with the Ohio State University Buckeyes. They went into Lincoln, Nebraska on Saturday night and outraced the Cornhuskers. Trav, uh, among your many stops over the last week or so, you were in Lincoln for that game. How was the scene there? I will say this. I've been to, I've been to a lot of different road locations over the years um nebraska fans are about as welcoming and realistic a fan base as you will encounter um in my experience incredibly great hosts um probably more realistic than i think they expected to be at this point in the season um they got brought back down to earth i think a couple weeks ago and generally I probably paid for about half of my beers for the weekend. Um, talked to a lot of people. They know their football very well. They're very rational individuals. And um, the game was a hell of a lot of fun for me as well. So overall, a successful 48 hours in Lincoln, Nebraska. You're a good house guest in uh, the, uh, the hospitality there. Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, I was fine. Um, but no, it was, it's interesting. I've been to, um, I've been, I think this is probably my eighth big 10, big 10 stadium. And it's probably the only one where I didn't encounter a single, like, national, um, oh yeah, we're going to, we're going to kick your guys' asses. I didn't have one of those while I was there. Um, everyone kind of was, was eager to, you know, come up and, and talk and buy me a beer and shoot the shit about college football and how, you know, they just hope that their team keeps it close. Unfortunately, their team didn't hold up their end of the bargain in that case, but um, really good hospitable fans that stayed probably later than a lot of other, um, a lot of other fan bases would have. So it was a good time. Noted on the broadcast by uh, Herbie Fowler in the fourth quarter of that game, they, they made mention of, how many people were still there and, and gave him some props for that. Um, I deserve it. There you go. Um, those of us who are watching uh, at home, Ben, what uh, what did you think of the Buckeyes and what do you think of uh, the, the start of the season here? He haven't really been tested per se, but uh, about as impressive, I think, as you can expect to be uh, five weeks into the season now. Yeah, I mean, it, it's been interesting for me following this team the, these last few years because um, – through the first five years of the Urban Meyer era, through the first six years, I, I covered the team on a on a daily basis and was in Columbus. And you know, I covered a lot of the recruitments of of the guys who are on the team. So, 
Um, it's been interesting to, to step back and watch them a little more from afar, but um, I, I was tweeting during the game the other night, and this is like the culmination of everything that, that um, Urban Meyer put together as, as far as talent and as far as recruiting is concerned. And um, it's kind of ironic he, he's not there for it, although uh, Justin Fields, the quarterback, came after Urban had already retired and, and technically is a Ryan Day recruit. But this is like – you know, for, for all the success they had with, you know, in, in 2014 and 2015 and, and those teams, like these are the guys they got on the recruiting trail as a result of that success. And, and after they expanded their recruiting um, base to, to a, you know, truly a, a national level. Um, so, so it's been interesting to see, but um, yeah, I mean, this team has, has been as impressive as, as you could ask for. It's, um, been a little boring watching them in, in the sense that they haven't played in uh, any competitive games, and, and we'll see what happens against Michigan State uh, this this weekend. But, yeah, I mean, if, if you're an Ohio State fan, I, I don't think you could have asked for um, a better first month of the season as far as wanting to measure this team up to uh, Alabama and, and Clemson and, and Georgia and, and the other teams at, at, in, on the national level. Crazy to think about. You mentioned recruiting know that it, it doesn't feel like Ohio State has lost a beat at all and I think that's incredibly impressive considering how good Urban was um, they kind of just feel like they picked up and kept moving um, and didn't miss a step at all which is um, I, I think it's stunning in general obviously a lot of recruiting is you know relatively typical, and we don't really know how good they're doing until a couple years later but as far as the the general recruiting services and all that sort of stuff go. It seems like they're bringing in the same exact level of talent. They're not losing a whole lot of guys that um, usually if you see you go from a, a legend like Urban Meyer to a relatively unknown, there's a bit of a drop-off, and they've somehow avoided that. Yeah, I, I think that's something that was so appealing to Ohio State, too, uh, about Ryan Day and making that transition from Urban Meyer to, to Ryan Day is, you know, when, when Urban stepped down or, or however you want to phrase it, uh, last December at the end of the season, like the program as a whole was was in a pretty good place. Um, you know, obviously everything that, that went on with the Zach Smith situation and uh, Urban and, and Gene Smith, all of that, you know, as far as just the football standpoint was kind of just a hiccup as far as the, the on-field product. And um, they, they were rolling and recruiting. And, and I think recruiting is, is so much about momentum and um, you know, you, you have success on the field because of, of the recruits you get and, and that success on the field typically leads to, to more recruits. So um, it's, it's going to be interesting to see now because I think, you know, they're still at a point now where it's really easy to, to just keep that momentum rolling from uh, what, what Urban did in, in his tenure at Ohio State. But um, Ryan Day, I, I was thinking about this too, watching the game. Ryan Day is like the first non-rock star they've had, uh, rock star head coach they've had probably since John Cooper. Like, like after Trust won the national title, he was already a legend in Ohio State. At Ohio State, uh, Urban came to. Ohio yeah, he State. wasn't. He wasn't. He Trussell wasn't a big deal his first year, though. But I mean, after he won the national title, and that was only in his second year. And so yeah, after, okay. he won, after he won the national title, I mean, he he was. I, I thought he reached legend status pretty quickly there. And yeah. 
the, the wins over Michigan and stuff. So, so yeah, I mean, Trestlin that first year, there were question marks, but he found success so quickly and, and Ryan Day could do the same, but Ryan Day is kind of, you know, the, the first guy they've had, it feels like since John Cooper, who, who he doesn't have really, you know, an interesting backstory. He doesn't uh, ha- have this resume of, of national titles, either at, at Youngstown state or at Florida. Um, I like Ryan Day and, and I thought it was, it was kind of a gutsy pick to go with, such an unproven, you know, commodity at Ohio State, but um, it, it's just I'm interested to see the way this unfolds because because he's such um, he, he doesn't fit that traditional Ohio State model, and uh, at the same time he he might be the fir- perfect fit for the program. That there's something to the idea of going in a completely different direction like that, kind of dominating the program, and maybe that's not the right phrase. I mean, they won the the Big Ten in the Rose Bowl last year, and you know, they've obviously been very successful in recent years, but um, just to kind of, you know, shake things up, keep things interesting. I mean, obviously there's turnover on the roster with, you know, guys are only there for a few years, but I just kind of wonder if having a new voice at the, at the front of the room um, can kind of spark things after a while. And if that helps and um, keeps things fresh, so to speak. Yeah, I, I, I think so. I, I think also just, you know, Urban runs so hot that, um, you know, I remember they lost this kid, Jackson Carmen. He he was a five-star prospect in Ohio and uh, one of the top 10 recruits in the country, a, a big offensive tackle. And uh, I think he was in the 2018 class and he wound up going to Clemson and uh, Ohio State doesn't lose kids out of the state of Ohio. And, and the big thing that came out of that recruitment was that, uh, you know, Dabo Sweeney was telling him that, that Urban Meyer was, wasn't going to be long for Ohio State, and lo and behold, that, that's how it worked out. And, um, you know, may, maybe more than people realized, like, Urban's, Urban leaving was, was kind of a long time coming. It, it was kind of something that just how hard he goes at this, I, I don't know if he's ever going to stay at a place or, or if it, he was ever made to stay at a place for, for 10 years or 15 years or, you know, do do what some of these other legendary coaches do. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think this was a program that, that kind of did need to shake things up a little bit and, and needed a fresh voice. And uh, I think they looked a lot. I mean, I, I know they looked a lot at, at what Oklahoma did going from Bob Stoops to, to Lincoln Riley and how you can kind of, you know, refresh in your program with, without having to hit the reset button. The coaching staff is still pretty much – it's a holdover from right? – was, was there a lot of change there? Um, there were a couple of assistants, uh, especially on the defensive side of the ball, which was probably addition by subtraction. Um, the other Yeah, thing, Bill though, Davis has not missed. Yeah, or, or is Greg Schiano, apparently. Yeah. Um, but, but the big thing was they kept – uh, urban strength coach Mickey Marotti, who's always been his right hand man. They kept Mark Pantoni, uh, who, who's kind of the the recruiting guru there and, and in charge of recruiting. So um, Urban Meyer's fingerprints are still very much all over this program. Um, it, it's just somebody else running the show now. And Heartline has been incredible, both as a coach and specifically recruiting. Um, he just seems like a natural. I don't know how long he'll be he'll he'll be able he'll be stuck as a wide receivers coach but he's come in and just been performing incredibly well just more so on the recruiting trail even but i don't know i was never a big even before all the zach smith stuff i always thought that guy wasn't really getting all that much out of the wide receiving core anyways and heartline has 
taken that to another level. Know that there's life after the Mr. Hero curse in the case of Brian Hartline. <laughs> he survived and come out better on the other side. <laughs> oh, good. Good to know. Hey, uh, guys on the field, um, I'll be honest, the uh, the game Saturday night was the first time I've really had a chance to sit down and watch Ohio State at length. Um, tell me a little bit more about Justin Fields. I mean, sheer uh, running the uh, the Ohio State offense, I, I thought he looked very impressive, and I got the impression that that's pretty much what we've been seeing out of him all season so far. And uh, J.K. Dobbins as well uh, obviously tore it up uh, in uh, the action that he saw Saturday. Yeah, um, I mean, Justin Fields, that that was a big get for, for Ohio State. There, there's no way around it. I don't think, you know, had, had this – program transition from Dwayne Haskins to Tate Martell that, that they'd be having the same success on the field that, that Justin Fields is having right now. Um, Justin Fields, if, if you look at just, you know, the recruiting numbers and uh, 247, you know, does does their recruiting rankings and their recruiting scores, Justin Fields is technically uh, the highest rated recruit to, to ever come to Ohio State since they started tracking this stuff back in the early 2000s. Um, he, he was the number two recruit overall in the country behind Trevor Lawrence, Clemson's quarterback back and um, you know I think most people by now think that Trevor Lawrence at least as a recruit was like a, a once in a generation type of quarterback um, so Justin Fields was the guy right behind him and uh, if you talk to some of the recruiting guys they'll tell you Justin Fields outplayed him at some of those recruiting camps um, the comparison I've seen that I like most is, is Camp Newton uh, which is kind of ironic because Cam Newton was originally recruited by Urban Meyer to play at Florida. So uh, now we get to see, you know, what a player like him would look like in a system that, that Urban Meyer, you know, largely ran uh, during his time at, at Florida and at Ohio State. So, um, yeah, I mean, he, he has the size, he has the speed. He is, you know, just one of those prototypical modern quarterbacks. And, um, you know, it, it's, you know, guy, I, I was a big JT Barrett fan, but JT Barrett obviously had his limitations. I, I liked Dwayne Haskins, but uh, I, uh, as far as his his limited mobility, probably wasn't the most ideal fit in this type of offense. Uh, Justin Fields is is the perfect quarterback for this system, and um, you know, I, I I'd be surprised if he he wasn't in New York as a Heisman finalist at the end of the season. I kind of got the feeling, Ben, that. Um... Fields was one of these guys that he's so he's so incredibly talented and they couldn't pass off on the opportunity to have him. Um, but ultimately, long term, they'd probably look to recruit guys that are more like Haskins, um, sort of big arm in the pocket, super accurate guys. Um, that was, in my opinion, that seemed like that was more Ryan Day's offense, and that would be more of his style going forward. Do you not think that's the case? Yeah, you know, I I think it's going to be interesting to see because I I think we're still at a point where we're determining, you know, what's Ryan Day's offense and and what was Urban Meyer's offense and and how are the two different. Um, The the one thing with Urban, at least, is they always wanted that that, uh, dual threat ability. And uh, I I remember back in 2015 when they started the season with Cardale Jones and and had JT Barrett on the bench and – 
that was kind of, you know, and, and at times it was kind of a cop-out excuse, but there was some some legitimacy to it was that's why they ultimately turned to JT was they just didn't have that threat of the QB run. So, um, you know, I, I think especially at the college level, you always want that threat. And, I mean, Dwayne, Dwayne was a, a threat to run, but he, but he wasn't Justin Fields as a runner. So um, I, I think they always like mobile guys. And, and, I mean, even a guy like Joe Burrow can move the ball a little bit with his feet. So, um, you know, Alex Smith had a lot of success under Urban Meyer. I, I think they always want that threat. I, I don't know if you'll ever see Ohio State. Um, I, I mean, I never say never, but um, I, I don't know. I, I, and, and, you know, it's, it's, it's changing now what a prototypical pro passer is. So um, I, I, I still think they like that dual threat nature. Yeah, I mean, I think that's fair. I, 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 I sort of thought with how much success Haskins had last year, they were uh, going to move more into that traditional pocket passer. But I think that's fair. Do you think this is another another sort of weird question? It doesn't really really no point in asking it at this point. But do you think if <laughs> if Burrow knew that Haskins was going to be you know first round pick after one year, he still would have left? I do, um, because Burrow started last year too. I, I think you know sitting so he would have been sitting at that point for four straight years had had he stayed um yeah and only had one year left yeah i i think that there's a big difference in that and um you know i i think kind of the the way i remember back when they recruited joe burrow and and then they recruited dwayne haskins and um you know they still had JT, they still had Cardale on the roster in, in 2015. You could kind of see the way that, you know, there was going to have to be an odd man out. I, I think they kind of got to a point where they were encouraging these guys to, to graduate early and keep their options open. And um, Joe Burrow obviously is, is plenty familiar with, with college football and uh, how, how these things play out. And, and his dad's the defensive coordinator at uh, Ohio University and, uh, he, he's no stranger to any of this. So I think this was always like a real possibility for Joe Burrow. Um, but yeah, I, I think, you know, getting that extra year of exposure and, and experience as a starter, I, I think that probably does make a big difference in a player's development and uh, the way that Joe Burrow is getting looked at now as a uh, potential first round pick. In that moment, I would love to hear the Ohio State coaching staff talk about the thought process behind figuring out which of those guys want to go with is, I mean, ultimately it seems like there was probably no real wrong answer. Um, You've obviously sung the praises of what Dwayne Haskins did last year at Ohio state. And um, you know, we're seeing Joe Burrow lighting it up at LSU and he looks awesome. But um, I mean, that, that could have gone very wrong for Ohio state. If if they go with one of those guys and, and let the other one walk and, and, uh, things didn't work out with, with Haskins last year. And um, that's just, that's not a situation that many teams find themselves in. And I mean, I guess it's a great problem to have, but uh, I just, I, I would have been super interested to know like what went into um, how that whole thing played out the way it did. Yeah. And, and they're not, you know, for as great as Justin Fields is, and, and I think he's, you know, one of the most talented quarterbacks Ohio State's had, uh, during this run of talented quarterbacks, they're not in a great situation now if he gets hurt. Um, they, they have Gunnar Hoke, who, who transferred from 
Kentucky and um, they've, you know, they've been working the the other backup in some too uh, during these blowouts, but but it's not like they have, you know, an experienced or or even a a up-and-comer to to turn to here if Justin Fields goes down and um, at at one point in the offseason, you know, if, if Justin Fields didn't get this eligibility immediately uh that that quarterback depth chart could have looked really shaky so um but that's kind of i mean that's college football now right i mean that's if if quarterbacks aren't going to be playing within two or three years that they're going to enter the transfer portal and and head elsewhere so um this isn't a problem that's unique to ohio state but but it's certainly one that they're dealing with right now i think it could have been for them had he not gotten whatever but Am I wrong in saying that it seems like the NCAA is starting to play a lot more fast and loose with uh, clearing guys uh, to start playing right away after transferring, whereas they might not have in the past? I think so, yeah. I mean, that's it's, it, it used to seem like the – it used to seem like the criteria was very clear cut and, and now it seems a lot more vague. Um, I'm, I'm still not sure, you know, why Justin Fields was allowed to play at Ohio state. I, I know there was uh, an incident at, at Georgia where um, a player from the baseball team called him a racial slur during a game or something like that. Um, I'm, I'm still not sure why Tate Martell was allowed to play at Miami. Um, and then conversely, there are other guys, you know, seemingly transferring for legitimate reasons and, and not being cleared by the NCAA. So, um, yeah, it's it's gotten to a point now where, where I think it's certainly, um, it's certainly more, they're more liberal about it now, but, but we're still not, you know, in, in a period where uh, I, I think we have hard and fast rules about it. Hopefully that worked out well for Ohio State and uh, certainly uh, gotten things off to a fun start this year. Um, the question is, will it work out again next year for Tate Martell when he goes somewhere else? I'm not care. sure about Tathan right now. <laughs> I don't think Tathan is sure about Tathan right now. <laughs> I hate to see it. Hey, well, you know, the Buckeyes look great on Saturday. And uh, then on Sunday, uh, the Cleveland Browns went into Baltimore and uh, took care of business. Fantastic performance. I, I dare say that was the first time the Browns actually looked like what I think we all were hoping the Browns would look like this year. Um, see some, uh, We saw some trick plays broken out, uh, some quick passes, basically everything that we were looking for in the first three weeks. And uh, we finally got it in uh, in week four, and, and the Browns leave September in first place in the uh, the AFC North. Um, ben, what'd you make of the Browns' performance on Sunday? Yeah, it, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. It, it was the first time we saw this team look like what we thought it could be. We we saw, I think we saw hints of it during the Jets game, especially when they got uh, Odell a little more involved and. In, in, Nick Chubb played pretty well in that Jets game, if I recall correctly. But um, to me, what this game was about really was kind of wiping out that Titans game, uh, the the season opener. And, and I think it did it in a couple of ways. And, um, one is, you know, after they lost that Titans game, like they needed to win a game that they shouldn't have won. And and I I put that Ravens game on Sunday in that category in in the sense that if you were going to play the schedule game b- before the year, you'd probably map that Titans game out, the, the opener as a win. And then, you know, on on the road at Baltimore in, in week four, like I don't think it's crazy to say that that was 
expect it to be a loss. They were a seven-point underdog, and it's a game you would have liked them to win, but, but ultimately that's probably a game they should have lost. So after they lost that Titans game, they, they really needed to get one back, and um, I, I think that did that, and, and it kind of reset the table here uh, through the first four weeks of the season. But I also think, it, it you know, because of the way they lost that game against the Titans, like it really raised a lot of question marks about, about this offensive line, about – Freddie Kitchens about uh, the cohesion on the offense, both in the play calling and, and in the personnel. And um, with the way they played on Sunday, like I think it kind of made you feel better saying that Titans game was an aberration. It was a result of, of these still being some some young and some new pieces. And, uh, you know, Freddie Kitchens still getting his, his feet under him as a head coach. So, um, yeah, I mean, as, as far as that game went, a lot like Ohio State at Nebraska, like you couldn't have asked for, for anything more from uh, the Browns on Sunday. To me, that you mentioned there at, at some length the game against Tennessee because that was all the way back in week one, and I feel like, especially outside of Cleveland, the Browns are kind of fighting uphill a little bit perception-wise as to what people think of them. Obviously, they had a ton of buzz coming into the year, and they had that train wreck in the first game. And I'm, you know, I think it was uh, ESPN that put out their NFL power rankings. And obviously these don't thing. Even today they had Baltimore ranked 10th and the Browns were at 17. And it's like, what, what are we basing that on? The Ravens haven't beaten a team that's won a game yet this year. And the Browns just went into their house and hung 40 on them on Sunday. And I think it really, to that notion I, I feel like at times there's this rush to like everybody wants to to come up with their their opinion on a team they want to you know th- this is the this is what this team is and um it's it, it's a little uh, i guess for me just to kind of watch the way that the browns are being perceived and especially i, I think even more so the way the the ravens are because i feel like a lot of their reputation right now is being this great team and, and Lamar Jackson being, you know, the super exciting quarterback was from them hanging 59 points on a team that's actively trying to throw their season away in week one. Yeah, I, I think that Titans loss, you know, one, one thing when we talked about the Browns before the start of the season, we, we, we didn't probably talk enough about this schedule and, and how tough it was at the front. And, after they lost that that game to the Titans, they they were really in a tough spot, in the sense that you know that that Jets team they played on Monday Night Football was was so bad and so beaten down that um, you know they won you know from from a score standpoint won just about as handedly as you could have asked them to and and they weren't going to get any credit for it just because of of who they were playing. Uh, they lose to the Rams on Sunday night football, and, and the Rams are obviously one of the better teams in the NFL and uh, one of a handful of, of probably Super Bowl contenders. And, um, you know, if, if they didn't win on Sunday against the Ravens, you know, they, they have the 49ers on the road, they have the Seahawks, they have the Patriots. And, and you know, it, it, it was really a tough start to the to the schedule, and, and that's why, you know, that, that Titans game and, and losing the one game probably of the first seven that, that you felt the best about, um, you know, I, I thought it was really was, um, you know, really something they were going to have to battle back from. And uh, I think on Sunday they did it. But, um, yeah, I mean, the the Ravens, I think the Ravens are still a, a pretty good team. I, I'm 
skeptical about Lamar, um, but but you know just because the Browns beat them down as bad as they did on Sunday, I don't want to swing too far the other way on them. But um, I think the Ravens and, and Browns are probably you know the Ravens are the defending AFC North champs, and, and that's where the Browns are obviously trying to get. So um, I, I think you know that that's probably a, a pretty good measuring stick for the Browns. And um, after after Sunday, I, I think you have to feel pretty good about where the Browns stand. Uh, in in the division and, and moving forward through the rest of the season. General, uh, Tommy, you were just saying um, sort of how the Browns, you know, kind of stuck it to the Ravens last week, right? And they still are ranked stick considerably right. sticking it, sticking it, um, and still we're behind them in some rankings and things like that. Is Ultimately, none of that really matters. It's not like college football where rankings can actually have some some impact, right? But um, it, a lot of that is probably just the fact that, what, the Ravens are the Ravens, and they're considerably a well-regarded franchise, and the Browns are still ultimately the Browns until they prove otherwise. So um, does any of that, do you think, I know we talk a lot about how always has the eternal chip on his shoulder and and all that sort of stuff but ultimately does any of that actually matter to any of the players does that impact any anything you know sort of that general perception that maybe they're not getting the respect they deserve um or anything like that or is it really just one of those things that they'll talk about and ultimately makes no difference personally think it certainly advantage of the guys in the other locker room in Tennessee with uh, your, you know, playing for Tennessee in week one, because um, it certainly seemed like a few of those <laughs> say, you know, crown their asses or whatever about the Browns. And, you know, in, in terms of the Browns are being talked about and perceived now, I, I can't help but feel like there were a lot of people that were rubbed the wrong way about how they carried themselves in the off season and were looking for any excuse to knock them down a peg. And you're seeing the after effects of that now. At the same time, Browns can put on a few more performances like what we saw this past Sunday. I have a feeling a lot of that's going to go away. But, you know, that's my two cents. Ben, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, this is, you know, this is sports media in 2019, right? Like, we, we like to build up these teams. And um, when, when things go awry, we, we put them in the uh, under the microscope. And, and when they go well, um, we, we celebrate them. Um, I think that, that there is something, you know, I, I don't typically buy into the bulletin board material or anything like that. But um, Baker is, is wired in this way that that's pretty crazy. And, um, you know, the, the other day, I remember he said after the game, you know, something to the effect of keep that same energy. I, I remember all of you who threw me in the trash and or threw us in the trash. And, and I kind of rolled my eyes because a lot of the criticism this team was getting over the last three weeks was pretty fair, I think, but um, you know, that, that's how he's wired. And, and if he's not getting it from a power pole and in, in ESPN or uh, quotes from the other team's locker room, he's, he's probably just going to make it up himself. So, um, you know, does it matter? I don't know. I, I think stuff like, you know, Freddie Kitchen's play calling and the cohesion cohesion in the offense matters a lot more. But um, yeah, I mean, definitely to, to your point about Tennessee, 
the Browns came into the season with with the biggest bullseye on their back of of any seven eight and one team in NFL history after this off season. And um, now that they're they're kind of back on the winning side of things, at least for another week, I, I don't think that's going to change. Say one thing. Um, did enjoy this past week when Rex Ryan uh, said some uh, so complimentary things about the Browns and. Baker was asked about it, and he said he brushed it off with the what's become the standard response from the Browns that uh, if you don't wear brown and orange, you don't matter. So that Rex showed up on ESPN Sunday Morning Countdown Show wearing a brown suit and an orange tie. So that's uh, subtle, but uh, especially for for Rex Ryan. But I appreciated that at least. I, I thought that was kind of funny. Speaking of people in sports media, your colleague over there at uh, Channel Three. Jim Donovan, it's become one of my favorite subplots of the NFL season so far. Browns have these big plays on Sundays. The videos show up on Monday with the play, (laughs) and then the video uh, of him in the booth with Deke um, calling the play in real time and seeing his reactions. Um, Do you see a lot of him in the office? Do you guys interact a lot? I love these. It's it's fun. It's becoming something I'm looking forward to. Like I can't wait to see how he was bouncing around the booth after that one, and, and it never disappoints. Yeah, I, I see him around the office a decent amount. Not not so much this time of year, and um, just because his schedule is a little different with the Browns, and um, we don't always get across paths. But um, it, it's pretty funny with you know for away games, I, I don't travel with the team. And um, so I'm usually back in the office during away games. And one thing we do at WKYC.com um, for, for home and away games is, is we cut up Jim's audio, his, his calls and uh, put it up on our website. So uh, the TV feed is, is probably like five seconds ahead of typically the radio feed that, that we use to, to record and, and cut up the calls. And um, it's pretty funny because we'll see a big play on the TV and know that we have to turn up the audio and uh, uh, record it to, to get it cut up. Um, so it's kind of cool to, to see, you know, one of those Nick Chubb runs uh, on TV. And, and then, you know, we get to relive it with Jim's call just a matter of seconds later. And uh, you, you kind of guess where he's going with it or, or uh, you, you, because you know what's coming, you get to hear the excitement and his voice build uh, as you start to realize that he realizes, uh, you know, that, that Nick Chubb's about to break free or, or that something great's happened. So, um, yeah, I mean, that, that's been one of the cool parts of, about working at WKYC, uh, uh, getting to be around Jim and all that. Do you guys have any plans to, like, chop together video of, like, someone doing something, but then also say that the person isn't doing that thing. Uh, a la the Ravens Twitter today, who, you know, seem to spend a, a significant amount of time putting together a very slow motion, high, uh, high, uh, high definition video there of um, what's Marlon Humphreys not choking someone. Is, is, is it just me or is that kind of bizarre in general? It, it was super bizarre. They went out of their way to do it. I mean, that's like, and, and that's a story I actually would have been interested in, whether it involved the Browns or not, just as somebody who's typically interested in, in sports media is, like, I don't think I've ever, like, you know, team sites are, are PR for the team. Like, they, they're um, pretty much just an extension of the team. And, and, you know, I think anything you read on a team site, you can pretty much cite 
you know, as, you know, coming from the team. So for them to, to do that and, you know, put up this Breitbarty type of article, um, you know, claiming fake news and, and using uh, edited video and, and um, you know, lim uh, limited cuts of the video, like just totally bizarre for, for what really wasn't that big of a story. It, it was only really a story um, because Odell Beckham Jr. was involved. And, um, you know, it, it wasn't like Marlon Humphrey was, was facing suspension for this. Uh, after Freddie Kitchens, you know, said his piece yesterday, this story would have gone away. So for for the Ravens to, to bring it back to life in, in such a bizarre way, um, you know, I guess you shouldn't be surprised because this is the same franchise that would, you know, live tweet Ray Rice and, and Janae Rice press conferences and make it seem like they were passing off blame on Janae Rice for domestic abuse. So, um, you know, the, this also is a, a Ray Lewis statue. So, uh... yeah, I mean, th this is a franchise that, that has kind of lacked in self-awareness. Um, and, you know, not, not to make light of either of those situations, but, uh, or to even compare it to this, but I thought that was just, you know, as somebody who's become fascinated by the way the, the teams operate their own media, uh, nowadays, I, I thought that was really a, a interesting use of, of their website. Percent with you. It was drawing undue attention to a situation that very easily should have gone away. We see plays like that pretty much every Sunday, if not in every single Browns game. If you watch enough NFL football on Sunday, there's going to be a scrap like that somewhere. And there's a and exactly for the reason you said, nobody was facing a suspension for that. So there was really no reason to bring that up again. And it, it was very odd to me to go poking a hornet's nest like that, especially when you look at the first 10 or 15 seconds of the clip and like, okay, Odell swung at him well why did he swing at him uh well you know i don't remember what their play-by-play -play that they had in the article was that went with it It was something to the effect of oh marlon humphrey had a, a wide right and it's like no he had a uh a hand basically go up to odell's throat and then had a handful of his jersey and was swinging him around and not letting him go so it's just like you're basically putting a spotlight on something that really didn't need to have it it wasn't, it's just, I, I don't understand what they were doing with that or what they were hoping to accomplish. Well, and, and then the other thing is they, they were providing commentary within the article, you know, alleging that, that the reason Odell swung was because he was frustrated that Marlon Humphrey limited him to to, to one catch as, as if, you know, the Browns weren't winning <laughs> by 20 points. Like, it was just a bizarre, I don't know, I, I, I was really... Uh, and, you know, to go with a definitive headline like that in, in any way, um, just a, a, a strange use of, of team media, like I said. I don't understand what they were hoping to accomplish by doing that. Um, what... Really quick, really quick, Ben, to, to what you just sort of mentioned as a guy who might be around the team a little bit more than the average person. Do you think, do you think Odell cares about that at all? If, if uh, I mean... Obviously, wide receivers like to get the ball, right? And they like to make plays and, and, and all that sort of stuff. Do you think, in general, he's a guy that's that's comfortable saying, hey, if we're going to win by, you know, we're going to be up two, three touchdowns if they're, you know, they're taking attention off of me and that's helping other guys go off and we're able to win big because of it. Do you think he's content with that? Or is this one of those things that, 
I mean, his his reputation, I personally think it's been a little bit blown out of, out of proportion. And I think in general, it sounds like everyone who's played with him thinks he's generally a good teammate who wants to win. But historically, wide receivers want to get the ball. Do you think he's comfortable with that? As long as they're winning, is he fine not getting not getting a whole lot of touches? Yeah, I mean, I, I think as long as they're winning is, you know, that that's kind of the key part of that. And um, it, it, I think, like, as long as they're winning, I think it will kind of work itself out because if they keep winning, um, you know, teams are going to switch up their game plan and, and they're not going to be able to, to take Odell completely out of the game and then Odell's going to get his touches again. Like, I, I was thinking about that today because it's like, Odell cannot just be a decoy for the rest of the season and and then keep winning, right? Like eventually he's going to have to get involved as far as being a pass catcher and and a guy who gets touches. Um, But, but I think like, I think he was fine with Sunday's performance. I, I do like, and I think the fact that, you know, people now can break down the film and see that this is where he opened something up for Ricky Seals Jones, or this is where he's opened something up for Nick Chubb. Like, I think he's okay with that, you know, in a big win. Now, if, if that same thing happens in a loss, like, I don't think he's somebody who's, who's going to be content with two catches for 20 yards. I, I don't think, you know, there, there are many top flight receivers uh, who are, but, but it's going to be interesting to see because um, I've gotten real into to, to DraftKings and, and fantasy football a little bit this year uh, and following it a little more closely. And it seems like just, you know, there are still those those big wide receiver games that, that you get, um, you know, fr- from certain guys each week. But it seems like just numbers from that standpoint are down across the board. Like DeAndre Hopkins, his numbers have been down. Uh, Michael Thomas, I, I don't think he's exploded the way he has in, in previous seasons. Um, so I don't know if there's something to that. But, but yeah, I mean, to your original question, I, I think as long as they're winning, you know, Odell's touches are, are just going to sort themselves out kind of thing that I think it's a if you want to call it a problem it would correct itself because those other guys start contributing you know contributing and proving that it can be a threat as well then you're not going to be able to necessarily if you're a defense load up on stopping Odell I I, I personally not one of these guys that uh, um, is great at breaking down X's and O's in all 22 film but from those who do that I follow try to read as much as I can they the impression I got was that the Ravens basically were going to throw the house at making sure Odell wasn't going to, you know, stop them or, or beat them on Sunday. And I, I don't know as, if as many teams are going to be able to do that to them if, uh, you know, the rest of the receiving core and the other skill position players are proving to be competent or, you know, in the case of Nick Chubb, a, a huge problem. So it'll be, it'll be something to watch. Um, Hey, let's move on. What last thing that we wanted to talk about here, and really this is the original reason uh, Ben that I reached out to you uh, to to set this whole thing up. Um, this is, I gotta say, I it, it, you feel free to disagree. I feel like this is the biggest week for professional wrestling since Vince McMahon bought WCW back in what was that two thousand one. This this is huge. What's going on right now, right? Yeah, I mean it's it's huge. Um, 
it's huge on a couple of different levels, but that's um, I've become a pretty loyal listener of, of Dave Meltzer's podcast uh, at, at Wrestling Observe at the Wrestling Observer, and uh, they were saying it's the biggest wrestling week since you know everything that went down with Chris Benoit uh, in 2007. But but yeah, as far as you know, actual wrestling and um, wrestling business and, and all of that, yeah, I mean it, it's right up there with when uh, WCW folded and. Um, you know, there, there are a couple of, of reasons for that, but I think just from, from a WWE standpoint, um, I don't think enough's being made of, of how big this Fox deal is, and, and for WWE to, to be on national television now, and uh, if you've watched Ohio State this season, you've seen uh, WWE being promoted during college football games uh, on Fox and um, all throughout this week, and, you know, WWE has has never been on national television on on a national station um, ever, um, at least on on this sort of basis. So um, that's huge. And then you factor that in that it's the same week that um, you know really the the first formidable competition that they've seen since. WCW in, in 2001 is, is kicking off their weekly show on TNT. Um, yeah, I mean, the, this is a, a huge week. Said it. So, Trev, is it fair to say that you are someone that would fall into the category of uh, someone who was a casual fan of wrestling back in the, uh, you know, Attitude Era, the glory days of the late 90s, early 2000s, and you've kind of become mostly a lapsed fan ever since then? Um, I'd say that's pretty fair. I, I tune into the occasional um, I tune into the occasional pay-per-view, and uh, I, I, I don't know... I, Raw is not must-see TV for me. Um, most of the time, if I tune in, it's because I'll see something on Twitter that says, hey, this is going to happen, or you might text me like, hey, this thing, this is pretty cool that's on, and I'll tune up, flip over to it. But, yeah, I'd say that's pretty fair to say. I texted you last night during the opening of Monday Night Raw. Thanks. I know. Thanks I, for I, nothing. Brock Lesnar coming in and Rey Mysterio was a fantastic television. Um, but no, so you're probably the perfect person to, to bring into this then just because I, I think this is, um, it's, it's crazy. Just the volume of television uh, that we're, we're going to have in terms of wrestling. So just to kind of reset it here, we got Monday night raw to kick off the week. It's a three hour show on USA. That's all the same as it's been for years now. The big change though was, I think it was about what was it Ben about like a year and a half ago that they announced that this new TV deal with Fox it was last May so yeah about a, a little more than a year ago okay so yeah that the big move was you know Smackdown which has always kind of been the B show and has been on Tuesday nights most recently it's bounced around a little bit but the last few years it's been on Tuesday nights on USA USA lost that to Fox, Big Fox, Network Fox, and they're moving it over to Friday nights. We'll get it more in a minute. Um, so in the meantime, this rival promotion, this all elite wrestling starts forming over, I'd say, like the last year or so. And this is Cody Rhodes, who had a long run in WWE, and then he went overseas to New Japan. Um, he came back over to the States, brought some of those other guys from New Japan with them, and they got a TV deal with TNT. They named their show Dynamite, which feels like a little bit of a wink-wink, nudge-nudge to the old Monday Nitro. Um, and there are certainly some other parallels to WCW um, and, and their old shows as well. 
Um, they're going to be on Wednesday nights. Well, then the next step that came after that, WWE's, a, you know, AAA, their developmental uh, division, NXT, had a show on uh, the WWE Network for a long time. Well, USA is hurting for programming in primetime. They, uh, WWE is looking for some sort of a counter to what this new rival promotion is doing. Long story short, we now have NXT for uh, two hours every Wednesday night on USA. So, you know, as people are going to be listening to this on Wednesday morning, you know, Wednesday night we're going to have now NXT for two hours on one channel, this rival promotion, All Elite Wrestling, on TNT for two hours. This is like the new version, I guess, of the Monday Night Wars. And, Ben, really to your point, you know, when we get to Fridays on Fox, uh, I think it's fair to say that's the A show now, which is really a huge parody for WWE because Monday Night Raw has been their their signature show for really 25 years now. But every look at what they're doing right now, it seems pretty clear from uh, the, the announcers getting shifted around to uh, the promotion of the different shows and, and just kind of how they're stacking the lineups. Um, you know, Friday night we're getting Brock Lesnar wrestling a match on free TV for the first time in 15 years. Um, it's it's pretty huge what's what's happening over there on Fox. Yeah, and, and the idea of SmackDown being the A show, um, like it's not just that in theory it, it, it is the A show, like it has to be the A show. The the SmackDown ratings now that they're the most crucial part of, of WWE's business because uh, you know, that that's where the money's all coming in from is, is that T V deal and um one, they can't afford to get canceled on Fox and uh, if the ratings slip, like there's this idea that, that they could be moved to FS1 if the ratings aren't what, what Fox is counting on. And um, two, at, at some point, this this TV deal is going to come up and they're going to have to sign another. And uh, that TV deal, the, the next TV deal is going to be based on whatever ratings, you know, they were getting on, on network television with Fox. So, um, yeah, I mean, that that's going to have to be the A show and um, on the one hand, they're on they're on like you said network television, so uh, they're getting the most exposure they've ever gotten. They're they're getting pushed during NFL and college football, so um, you know the, the the best marketing they've ever had. They're getting right now. On the other hand, like Friday night at 8 p.m. is is not a great TV slot. Um, I, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm as big of a wrestling fan as there is. I don't know how often I'm going to be watching SmackDown live as, as opposed to DVRing it. So, um, but, but yeah, I mean, this is a big shift for them. And, um, you know, I, as recently as a few years ago, SmackDown was on Friday nights and, and being taped on Tuesdays. And, you know, you could just read the spoilers on, on Tuesday night online and not have to worry about SmackDown, but, um, you know, th- this is a big shift for WWE in, in terms of how it presents its product. And, um, you know, I, they're going back to the roster split. So uh, we're going to have different wrestlers on different shows. But, um, yeah, just, just as far as Fox is concerned, um, it, it's going to be really interesting to see how they go about uh, all of this. Fascinated me that they're splitting up the roster again, because I thought the whole reason they started muddying the waters on that in the last few months is because, towards having two different networks that they had to keep happy. Because if I'm Fox and I'm paying hundreds of millions of dollars to WWE, I want to watch Roman Reigns or Brock Lesnar only on uh, Monday nights and not have them on my network. I'm paying those stars on my network 
and I would think USA to the same is you know in the same boat looking at you know I, I kind of wonder what they're thinking right now because they've always kind of had Raw as like the the flagship show and you know everything is going to go into making that the best it can be and it seems like early on that's going to be the case and I kind of wonder uh, you know when they do split up the rosters if it's uh, you know going to be kind of one sided like that and it almost kind of has to be. Um, just for the reasons that you outlined. I will say this, though, from Fox's perspective, maybe the time slot isn't necessarily the best, but you can't say that they have not done they, – they, they've gone above and beyond in trying to build up excitement with the promotional uh, hype and, uh, you know, getting the WWE people involved as much as they can, showing up on, on football shows and I think like a baseball game, like they, they had like Fox uh, – the on Network Fox, they had a – Thursday night game of the week baseball game that Braun Strowman was in the box doing an interview for a half an inning. And I think my favorite one, Fox News, leave it at that. Mm-hmm. Um, they have their morning show, Fox and Friends. I saw a clip circulating online where they were coming back from commercial. Did you see this? I didn't, no. Oh, this is fantastic. So they're they're coming back from commercial, and just before they go back into the studio for like one to two seconds, oh, Ray I, Wyatt, I this. yeah, as the fiend pops up on screen with no explanation, no context, and all of a sudden, boop, we're back on Fox and Friends, and I, I it, it was hilarious to me that that they would do that, and I would love to know what the reaction was from the the viewership of that show. Yeah, um, and the fiend is kind of perfect for Fox News, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's uh, that that was that was uh, hilarious to me, and and I think they're they're doing a good job of uh, building the uh, the excitement for that, and I'm really curious to see how it pays off on Friday. But uh, in the meantime, um, Wednesday night, which which show are you going to be watching, or are you going to try to see some of both? Yeah, so so this is actually this is the interesting part about it to me is like I think NXT is probably you know NXT goes through its ups and downs depending on who's on the roster, but just over the course of let's say the last three or four years, NXT's kind of been the best wrestling out there, um, and and you know they, they've had some advantages as far as. Um, but before making the switch to USA, they're only an hour show. Uh, they pre-tape. Uh, they only have to deal with a couple of pay-per-views a year and all of that. But but I just think in terms of excitement, like my, my wife watches with me. She likes NXT more than she likes Raw or SmackDown. Um, so, so that's what's kind of interesting is WWE is going head-to-head and trying to, to stave off this competition with, with NXT and not necessarily its main roster. Um, but, but I think I'll flip back and forth. Like, I, I think I'll try to make it like the Monday Night Wars and, you know, go back and forth and, and see what captures my attention. Um, what, what I'm just, you know, curious about is, is AEW capable of that? Will, um, I, I think a, NXT right now just has such a deeper roster and so many more established names and, and guys I'm already familiar with. I, I think AEW really, um, you know, is, is really going to have a tough time finding its footing here and, uh, you know, making people care and, and me, making it, making their show feel like a big deal and, and not necessarily just the little engine that can. Interesting to me from what I've seen, the business is I've watched a few of the matches they've had, because they've had a few, 
uh, specials on uh, what was it the, the Bleacher Report Live that's part of the Turner mm-hmm. family and um, and they've had it they had a special on TNT on like the Friday night of Labor Day weekend I think they must have had a big pay per view coming up that weekend because they did yep. this one hour hype show for the pay per view and it, I thought it was just awesome it was a completely different style of production from what you are used to watching from a WWE show. It was just different. It was exciting. Obviously, there was people involved, although there were some familiar faces uh, as well. The one thing that's kind of surprised me is I feel like before they've even had their first weekly TV show, there's been some backlash against them and and what they're trying to do. And as much as wrestling, hardcore wrestling fans and the, the lifers uh, among have grumbled for years that WWE is getting stale and boring and, and they want anything new and different to kind of help, you know, shake up the scene a little bit. Now that you finally are on the verge of having that, I feel like there have been a certain segment of uh, the wrestling fandom that has been almost eager to kind of crap on them before they're even off the ground. And I'm, I'm a little surprised by that. Yeah, I, I think, I, I think I can probably speak to this a little bit because I, um, I so let's say two years ago I only watched the WWE um, and NXT, but you know n- none of the indie stuff, none of the the Japan stuff, or, or anything like that. And really, what it was was Cody Rhodes' move to to Ring of Honor and to New Japan that that got me into some of that stuff, and, and that's where I learned about the Young Bucks, and that's where I learned about Kenny Omega, uh, and and you know Chris Jericho had a big match in Japan versus Kenny Omega uh, at the start of 2018 that, that really turned on a lot of people to New Japan, and that's where I started to to really go on a ride with these guys all the way up to, to them forming All Elite Wrestling. And um, they, they were doing one of those specials actually tonight before we were taping and talking about their ride. And, um, you know, it, it really made me kind of, you know, miss those days because I think what they're doing now is is a little bit different than that. And, and it, it has to be because, you know, it's, it's a lot different running your own company and um, stuff like that. But, um, you know, some of the stuff, they, they've taken some shots at WWE and WWE's taken some shots at them. But um, I, I think that's, you know, turned a lot of people off. And then, um, you know, internet culture and, and all of that, you know, a, a lot of the wrestling journalists are, are really big fans of AEW, um, you know, and, and almost outwardly rooting for AEW and uh, for a lot of, you know, WWE hardcore fans uh, that can kind of turn them off too. So um, I'm a little more skeptical about AEW than I was, you know, six months ago when they first announced this, or I guess nine months ago at this point, but I'm still excited for, for tomorrow night. I'm, I'm still excited to see what they can do. Um, but just as far as coming out and, and challenging WWE right out the gates, I, I don't know if that's a realistic possibility. Honestly, the best thing that can happen is to just get this show going because we're at a point now yeah. where you can only do so many press conferences, you can only do so many mm-hmm. teachers and, and special like that. At some point, you need to be what you're going to be. And we got to see what the product is that you're building. Um, it's fascinating to me just the, the funding that they've got somebody backing them that might actually have the money to go toe-to-toe with Vince McMahon if he wants to. Uh, we'll, we'll see how long they they can hang in there or what kind of competition they can provide. And, um, you know, if, if it's it's the uh, the Khan family owns the, the Jacksonville Jaguars, among other things. 
Um, so I'll, I'll be interested to see how long they're willing to, to fund this venture and uh, really TNT as well. Um, you know, cause I mean, at the end of the day, they need to, you know, have shows that, uh, that draw interest as much as anybody else. Um, You, you, so you think this roster for AEW is a little thin? Is that your? Yeah, I, I do. I think, um, you know, just, just in terms of, you know, what they can do on a pay-per-view, um, they're already going to, to Cody Rhodes versus, versus Chris Jericho for their next main event. Like, I, I think they're, you know, they, they have Chris Jericho, and um, Chris Jericho is probably their most established name. But after that, like, I, I don't, you know, I, I, for some reason, like Kenny Omega's kind of fallen off as far as being a big name. And, and I thought he'd be the guy who they build this company around. He, he's a guy, you know, who has that indie cred and who's considered one of the best wrestlers in the world. Um, and, and instead they're, you know, he, he's kind of just in the background of all this at this point. Um, it, but, but yeah, I mean, they, they have, Oh, go ahead. I, I would suspect that uh, will be, the center, if if not the top of the uh, the promotion, later than later. My my theory on this is that starting a new show, they want to have some familiar faces, and they're looking at Chris Jericho as being the most well known star that they have with the most crossover appeal. I mean, he's obviously he's got the you know the the metal band, and he's had you know some hosting gigs on network TV, and done a whole bunch of other projects. I, I would be very surprised. You know, he, starting that show off tomorrow night with him in their top guy, I, I that's something that you do to start off with. I'd be shocked if that lasts for very long. Yeah, but but then I, I agree. But then it's where do you go from there? Is, is the next guy Jericho um, a, a guy who I'm really interested in? Is is Dean Ambrose, or at least he was known in WWE as Dean Ambrose, uh, John Moxley? Um, he's a guy you know a lot like Cody Rhodes, who people said never lived up to his potential in WWE or, or the WWE uh, machine was, was holding him down. Well, now he has a chance to to go out there and and prove himself and. Uh, take on a different environment, and, and when he was in Japan, he was he was one of the hottest wrestlers um, on the planet. But he had an injury, and he's kind of fallen to the background. But I think that's the thing now that that's really most exciting about all of this is you know guys in WWE who who haven't been getting a fair shake, they now have another place where they can go um, and and you know really kind of prove themselves um, in a different place, and and you know kind of prove that. That, that they can get over and that it, that it is, you know, a WWE problem and not necessarily their fault. I have to imagine that a lot of those guys who might be frustrated with their lot in WWE will be watching very closely tomorrow night to TNT, uh, what the competition looks like uh, and what possibilities might exist for them. Trav, we've, uh, we've still got you here. I, I feel bad. Are you, any, any of this, uh getting you hyped up to maybe turn the racing back on here um let's just say uh i think i'm already busy tomorrow night um well th- th- this is highly I'm, unlikely I'm actually, i'll be watching anything friday at eight o'clock i'm actually curious about this because the one thing with all this like that i have no concept of is like how big of a deal is aew because like it, it's a big deal you, you know tom i think to me and you because we follow this closely but like all of my friends 
our lapsed wrestling fans who, who watched during the Attitude Era and, and haven't really watched since, um, I don't think they have any idea what AEW is. I, I'm just I have no I have no frame of reference, I guess, for for how much reach AEW is getting right now. No, I I know very little about it. Um, I remember. So I've I don't know I I probably watch maybe once a month I watch Raw maybe once a month, and I had forgotten until just now when you mentioned it. Dean Ambrose is no longer on Raw and he's <laughs> now on AEW. So I'm I'm not the guy to ask about this quite frankly, and I don't know that um I, I the needle for me much none of none of it, it may be big in the wrestling. I don't know world, but I don't know that there's anything that's really me a whole lot to to tune into either one. Quite frankly, they need to get creative with their cross promotions. We've seen what Fox has been doing. Oh, by the way, that's the one thing I, I forgot. One of the subplots of this whole Fox WWE deal, I'm looking forward to see just how ridiculous they can make the SmackDown promos that Joe Buck has to read during Thursday night football. I want them to just get more over the top and more ridiculous and, and more awkward for him to read uh, every week from now until the end of the season. That would just make my day every Thursday. Uh, but no, I, I think Turner needs the, you know, they've got the baseball playoffs on for the next month over on TBS. They're going to have uh, the NBA um, starting up here in a few weeks. And, you know, obviously TNT's got, you know, the, the Thursday night doubleheader, and then they got the Tuesday night games as well once uh, the second half of the season starts rolling. A lot of opportunities for them to cross-promote, and if they're invested in this, uh, I'll, I'll be interested to see what they do with that. Yeah, and, and that's, you know, that's one thing they have at their disposal, and um, it's something that, they're like you said, they're, they're just going to have to do, and it's going to have to be more than, than Cody Rhodes. He's been the one who's you know, been at the forefront of all this, but I don't, I don't know how many casual fans Cody Rhodes is is drawing in. That, that's why I'd be curious to see, you know, more of Kenny Omega, more of more of the Young Bucks, even more of um, uh, Dean Ambrose, John Moxley, more more of those type of guys. Because right now it's it's been a whole lot of Cody and uh, not a lot else of of the other guys. I'll agree with that. So I'm I'm very curious to see what direction take it on, you know, with the lights coming up tomorrow night. Um, by the way, the one last thing I wanted to mention on wrestling, shout out to Cleveland's own uh, Vic Joseph. Yeah. Uh, we knew him way back when in Cleveland on 92.3, the fan is Trevelyante, easy for me to say. He is uh, now the play-by-play man for Monday Night Raw, uh, WWE, and uh, that's uh, that's awesome. I was really surprised to see that. I knew he had been doing some work for them for an uh, NXT UK. Was that the show that he was on before this? And yeah, and two hundred five live. Okay, two hundred five live. So call up to. Uh, I know that you know they're moving SmackDown to you know the top of the food chain. I mean, Monday Night Raw is a venerable franchise. It's certainly still a big deal. And to get that spot, that's that's a pretty coveted job. So shout out to Vic for that. That's awesome. Yeah, it, it's pretty crazy. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I remember when he just went to WWE. It, it was a big deal that he was going to WWE, and uh, in a short time now to to be the lead voice on Monday Night Raw, uh, it's pretty absurd. Tough. All right. I think we've uh, we've bent your ear on enough topics here. Appreciate you taking some time. This has been fun tonight, man. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for having me, guys.
As for us, we are on Apple Podcasts, we're on Google Podcasts, we are on Stitcher and the TuneIn app. You can also stream us on waitingfornextyear.com. Our thanks again to Ben Axelrod of WKYC. Always good to catch up with Ben. Uh, we will be back soon. So for Travis Uly, I'm Tom Valentino. It's been the nail in the coffin, and uh, we'll catch up again. What was it like to be there for historical sports moments and unforgettable performances? To be behind the scenes? On Press Box Access, you'll hear from me, Todd Jones, and other sports writers about their experiences with the greatest athletes, coaches, and sports events of the past half century. We'll share some stories behind the stories, some big, some small, and some we've only told each other. Let us buy you around on Press Box Access.